Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, Nico here, and it's Friendsgiving here at Excess for Podcast, and as such, we're bringing you a selection of some of our favorite things. We're going to kick things off with some X of Swords, pivot over to some of the other mutant haps over in Marvel Universe right now, and we're going to polish things off with the promised part two of Josh and Mai's Apocalypse Talk. But first up, we have Kyle, Nathan, Robbie, and Evelyn discussing their thoughts on the most recent issue of Cable. There's some amazing theories in here, and what this team looks for from Cable, they definitely got. Also, there's plenty of love for my boy Gorgon, so I hope you guys enjoy. Today, we are covering Cable number six. I'm Nathan. You can find me at Dazzler AOA. Where can we find you at, Kyle? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82, D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Where can we find you, Robbie? You can find me on Twitter at Age of Polaris. And where can we find you, Evelyn? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at comic underscore canary. So this whole event has gone off the rails. I don't know about it, what you guys are thinking. <laughs> um, <laughs> Were there ever rails to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering at this point, I'm really wondering at this point, it really feels, ah, these last few issues this week really feel like we're in an episode of whose line is it anyway? So I like, I almost expect (laughs) to go out to the audience and say, give me a place. And then somebody yells out like, Evelyn. And then like, "Uh, Evelyn, give me some contestants. (laughs) That really is what it feels like. I know, right? (laughs) You know, yeah. Maybe that's how it was in the X office when they were creating those scenes. <laughs> ah, I mean, it has to be. It, it feels like there's such a difference between the, the beginning of this event that was so thoughtful and so well-timed and so spaced out and right now. Like, maybe they were able to add with extra quarantine time to add the extra to the front. And maybe this last part is how this event was supposed to be the whole time. Um, I don't know, but I'm just like, hey, it's a game where... All the points are made up. Wait, where all the games are made up and the points don't mean anything. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how accurate that is. It really is. Uh. So before we get into Cable 6, so we also had Hellions and uh, X-Force this week. Just some quick thoughts you guys had on any of the things that happened in that issue. There was definitely that scene with Brian and War with that cat. That poor kitten. <laughs> oh. And it was just funny how Brian just looks right at her and is, and and he's just like, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the poor little guy who's oh, like no. Mew. <laughs> I I did enjoy the series of panels of just like the quick silly games, um, like mm-hmm. Dance Off and the Runway Walk and the Puzzle. Even though I'm disappointed because I've been looking forward to like hardcore sword fights and everything, I did think it was a funny moment that did break up the seriousness of it. So <laughs> I don't know. I love it because it was such a great series of panels, but I also like am disappointed because I just want more sword fights. <laughs> uh, I agree. <laughs> I, I did like that that Saturnine had picked uh, Brian for the torture challenge. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "This is what you were missing by not spending the night with me." <laughs> yeah, the best, obviously, the two big battles, fights, or whatever in it. I, I really liked the race of the crooked market. I loved the callbacks of the Furies. That was a amazing like it actually almost felt like saturnine again for a hot second and i also loved red root when she was like hey i've never won anything before i won (laughs) but then but then she found out about all the 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 cost of winning yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) oh poor it was like such a good moment and then such a sad moment like immediately one after the other yeah so uh, and Wolverine always seems to be the cause of losing in quite a number of these challenges. I oh noticed that. God. He caused like Storm to lose. Like she was rocking that runway in that she one was. panel. She was and, feeling it. Like, and uh, he he refused to dance. <laughs> uh, and Doug looked like he was having so much fun. Yes. He's like, a swing boy. Oh. Uh, and then real quick, the big battle with death. It was Oh my god. That I loved. Epic. Because we know that Storm doesn't need her powers and Mm -hmm. that she can she can she slays. Oh my Lanta. And that's and that's the fascinating thing about like her character is because you can't really name many X-Men that could really hold their own without their abilities. Oh the only other one I could think of. Yeah, the only one I could really think of it be Danny oh yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) those are really the two I mean I'm sure there's a few others but there's not many no absolutely like she actually seems more dangerous when she doesn't have her abilities than than Mm -hmm. when she does for some reason it's crazy I definitely agree with that I loved Hellions as a book but I didn't feel like it contributed anything to Ten of Swords if that makes any sense like I hated it in context of Ten of Swords being just useless, but I loved it as a Hellions book, and I can't wait to see where Hellions as a story is going to go. I agree with that. (laughs) That resonates really well with me. It definitely seems like a, here's another group of villains that we're going to deal with at some point in the future. Right. Uh, The Dawn of X era. It's just like, like, hey, here's this really cool idea. You're going to have to wait six months for it to happen. Uh. Mm-hmm. And my nanny, oh my god, my poor nanny, oh, oh nanny, and orphan, orphan maker, an orphan maker too. He got like torn open like a wishbone. Wild oh, child, that, <gasps> that was so yeah, sad. that was brutal. That whole 
interaction like was heartbreaking. Yeah. Ooh, he was like, I'm a good boy. I'm going to do it. Oh. And the way Psylocke turns and just watches it at the last. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That was hard. Oh. You can tell that she actually cares. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that? Uh, <laughs> that shade he threw at Kate's at Kate's old wardrobe choices. Absolutely. <laughs> that is a perfect place to start Cable 6. And and Emma's response to it. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, unfortunately, I have to agree. <laughs> he oh, stopped. man. <laughs> he stopped in the middle of a war. And like, yeah, he just killed him. But he's pretending that he his hellion just got killed right in front of him. He stopped to go get his cake. Which <sighs> is a very sinister thing. <laughs> no one questioned it. <laughs> but then again, well, no one really questioned anything about what just happened. <laughs> So, do the council actually care? Probably not. Besides Kate, of course. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of surprised that Jean was ignoring Charles's summoning during that scene. That is kind of odd. Where, like, I know we find out what she's doing later, but what was she right. doing before? We're like, her and Scott having a little, uh, something something, or like... Oh, I thought it was, like, I simultaneous. She... I... I think it was. I think what's been happening is that she's been using all of her strength to tunnel through to other worlds. Oh, okay. So she was she was completely uh, preoccupied. Huh. That actually makes sense because I know she mentioned she's like, because Scott was like, oh, is that Charles again? And she's like, no. And she's like, it's Nathan. So, but that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And we did have that moment when Saturnine was like, I've, I've allowed this spying to go on long enough. So it must have been going on for quite a while and she was aware of it. And that's the insane part about like how powerful she is. is she's like, like eh, effort she's like eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he's like snap all right so the battle between bay and cable i have a lot of thoughts but what are you guys thinking <laughs> i liked i i love the art i thought the art was absolutely incredible yeah. but the aftermath um where we see like cable like so vulnerable that's the kind of shit I was looking for in the ten grades. <laughs> I want to see people oh, yeah. broken and sad and upset. I love my characters like depressed. I don't know why, but um, this was finally what I was looking for. An incredible sword fight. The hesitation, like just everything about it, I thought was just beautifully well done. I agree with that a lot because looking at Cable's history, there's not many points where he's super vulnerable mm -hmm. like this. And and yeah, I definitely agree 100% that it was nice to, this was a very like standout moment of the issue with him. Yeah, and we've we've been seeing hints of this happening right after Stasis when they were at the uh, banquet. Okay. And where he was trying to interact with Apocalypse and every time he attempted, he was kind of beaten back and made feel made to feel inferior so having him be put on the spot and having the opportunity to to win 
and then faltering while Apocalypse is watching. That that was just it was just another chink in the armor that he's had. And it's it's watching him fall at that point. It it was it was heartbreaking. Oh, I know. It really to me, it drove home the difference between old man Ascani Sun's uh cable. Because that man, he would have been like <laughs> Bye, Bay, and he'd have been like, Doug, I'm sorry I had to kill your wife. It was for the good of the universe. But this is young Cable Babel. He's like, he's a different character. He's a different beast. And I'm kind of like digging, seeing Cable not really do, behave how we expect him to. Like, uh, he, he had the fight, but he hesitated because he didn't want to see Doug have to watch his new wife die. Yeah, definitely. It goes to show that while he has that teenage bravado, he still doesn't have the experience and the um, the experience where it would have numbed him to the pain that something like this would cause to the people around him. Oh gosh, yeah. How do you guys, like, for me, I think it's kind of crazy how quick Doug and Bay have seemed to have bonded. Like, it just, it's like he Doug was able to stop Bay from killing Cable just by, you know, like, hey, stop! And she's like, oh, it's my soft boy (laughs) (laughs) oh oh i i i love that connection already even though we've (laughs) barely had anything of it and i really hope that bay survives so that we can see more absolutely yeah Um, somebody said, I, I can't take credit for this. Somebody, I heard somebody say it on the internet um, that it almost is like uh, Bay and Doug are almost like Big Barda and Miracle. That I was, I, I was I thinking that. that too. Yeah, because it's just like you've got like the, you know, like the little dorky guy, so that's Doug, and then you've got like the big warrior woman, and she's like, I love you already. <laughs> <laughs> and and then we, we find out that it wasn't just a physical death that this battle was to it was to the death of cable spirit oh absolutely i thought that was an uncharacteristically kind thing for saturnine to do at this point like because she's been very like fuck krakoa fuck krakoa like yeah i noticed that too i was very it it seemed like she i don't know i don't it was just it almost seems both kind and cruel where she's like now you have to live with your failure kind of deal but (laughs) like at first i thought it was kind but then it's like upon rereading it i'm like no this is still kind of a bitch move (laughs) i never even looked at it that way that's actually really sadistic of her it is it is sadistic but it's a learning opportunity for cable it'll allow him to grow from this place of feeling so negative about himself and to grow stronger as a part of it i think um so obviously we see a lot of scott and gene probably the most we've seen in the event is through their interactions with cable Uh, i've noticed that like as a couple they're probably written the best in cable like just seeing them as like a loving family unit which is kind of a juxtaposition between what gene was in x-force when she was like i'm gonna hop on logan um (laughs) (laughs) she's like give me that short Canadian man love. Which which of those two genes are you guys loving the most? I mean, I don't necessarily think I could choose because I like both sides of that they're showing. I agree with Robbie. I like both and I think it would really benefit from like having like really showing the OT3 like 
properly. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're basically confirmed as a thruple at this point. And I think it would only be a benefit for them to, like, properly show it rather than just hinting at it. For oh, character God. development, it's not even fan service. It's they're a loving family unit that is getting along. Because, like, I'm not a big Cyclops fan, like, at all. But I <laughs> am really appreciating him in this new Don of X. I think he's being written very well nowadays, like in recent comics. So I've been appreciating that it's definitely seems like it's a lot more healthy than their previous relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's. That's a very good way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) I really can't choose between one or the other because I think that they both, they both are part of Gene. So it's, it really wouldn't work if you only had one side. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I I love how they have embraced this and they've made her such a multifaceted character. She's not just like bloody for Logan or like deeply in love with Scott. She, she can be both and I love that they're acknowledging that the human heart has that sort of capacity and that sort of complexity and you don't usually see that a lot in comic writing. Although, I do wonder, are they a polycule or are they a thruple? So like, I'm wondering if Scott and Gene and Scott and Logan and Gene and Logan are, or if it's just Scott and Gene and Gene and Logan. I don't know. I don't think we've had enough yet, but there was that one moment when Scott suggested that he'd go get on his his speedo. There was also a moment where back in House of X where Cyclops and Wolverine were just like straight up chilling together and <laughs> oh the beers, right? Yeah, yeah I think that was yeah. the yeah. There was the yeah. beers, but there was also they were just like on lounge chairs. Together, right. Just, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just chilling on the moon, and Gene walks in and is like, "Am I interrupting something?" And they're like, <laughs> and it's like, I feel like that's a hint that it could possibly be like a thruple versus Gene being polyamorous, which I, yeah. for one, I feel could work, but just from the hints that I've seen with comics, I think it's going more as a thruple. I agree. And and then like I know the Sinister Secret was saying that you know maybe Emma's even involved and you know i know there were hints in the last week's issues of x of sword that you know logan could be kind of getting back with storm so it, it's just kind of very interesting to see the love in the age of Krakoa. so do you guys are there any like thoughts you guys are having about this cool like i'm loving the cool bond that being shown between uh the parents and the child like even in the growing up alternate future like you never really got to see like got be such a caring dad like he basically like on his knees in this episode issue like I cannot lose him again like just kind of touching my heart I don't know where you guys are on that I absolutely love it and I really hope that they continue building on it as things move out of Ten of Swords and into whatever comes next I think it's really improved Scott's character development and it's also helped to build Gene a little bit more as well so then right 
we're going into the final battle. So they go in and it's 18 and 18 to 6. And they're like, haha, White Sword, you're gonna send battle versus Gorgon. What did you guys think of that battle? <laughs> I thought it was a wow. really good matchup. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It was, I think this was my favorite matchup of the challenge so far. We got a lot out of Gorgon. We finally got to understand the other half of the white swords powers and just how terrifying they are <laughs> if you ask me <laughs> and i mean watching gorgon fight i was in awe i i was not expecting him to be that skilled and i i was I was impressed. I really like him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, what's not? Well, there's a lot not to like, but like, there's a lot to like too. <laughs> that yeah. outfit. Mm. Oh. oh my god, what is that outfit? Yeah, yum. Honestly, um. captivating this fight. I am a big Gorgon fan as a, like as a character. I think he's really just kind of interesting, even though he seems a little like just kind of one noted times i think he's still a very interesting character so i was ecstatic when i saw that white sword was like just bringing up an army and he's like oh bring it on i can do everything and it was just i felt it was so well done and i just loved every second of him just cutting down these crazy zombies yes oh my god it's like michonne in the walking dead like katana 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 like <sighs> and then when gorgon dies i'm like oh no i'm like you actually made me care for him through your like sarcastic one-liners like going to go fuck a rock like <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then and then he dies and then white sword's like ha ha i can make you one of my harem and he's like you'll never make me one of your harem <laughs> but when apocalypse was like this is how he dies i was oh oh, oh my god like yeah like, I, I don't know how they managed to do it. I didn't know anything about the character before going into Hoxpox era. Um, it, even though he's appeared so sporadically, like his appearances, even his silence in his appearances, I think have been really important to kind of describe the character, just like to set this mood for him and to him to go out in this tragic death, evening the score for Krakoa. Like, even though I think that's a cheap way to get to Krakoa to have the same amount of points as Arako, like it really fit his character. It really did. Did. and the fact that he did it blind that was so good and it's it's really sad to see this character have to die but if he had to die this is the way that i'm glad it happened so can can we talk a bit about how the uh the white sword is just able to summon his 100 companions out of nothing to fight oh, for him? Oh my god, now isn't that crazy? I see why yeah. in Saturn a little future, why the world kind of ended. This is why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he he's a, even when they die, he's able to resurrect them the next day and he just pulls them out of the ether i guess and that's that's that is terrifying i i would hate to 
come across him in a battle. <laughs> Oof. And you have to remember they're not just regular soldiers. These are like a hundred mutants from Araco. So right. like, yeah. each one of these guys is powerful in their own right. Like, oh my God, that's terrifying. And if you die, he can conscript you to his service too. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that is crazy. Um, So Saturnine, up until now, I was like, hey, she's really trying to stick it to the man. She's trying to kill, she's trying to wipe the mutants off the face of the earth. And then she pulls the, like, what, like, do you guys think it was all part of her master plan? Do you think there is a plan for her besides trying to get on Brian Dick? Like, what's going on with Saturnine? I still think that she is trying to show both sides that she's in charge and that um, this is what they get for their incursions into her territory. Um, has, so she's, yeah. so she's yeah. just been playing them the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Saturnine is definitely still playing with a set of rules. I feel like she is very much a rule person. We as the audience and obviously the characters just don't know what those rules are yet. And I feel like this perfectly fits it. I think that she absolutely planned them to eventually have to fight each other down the line to even up the score. Even though she is shuffling the cards and the deck, she still kind of made the cards and she knows what's on the cards. So I feel like it's very much a rule that she is following that we just aren't aware of. I feel like even though it seems like chaotic and nothing matters and very whose line is it anyway, I think (laughs) still so calculating that she knows exactly what she's doing. What do you think, Robbie? I I agree with that, definitely. Because, um, well, especially in this issue, like when she reveals that um, she knows that Jean has been com- and Scott have been communicating with Cable, she she is more hyper aware of everything than she lets on. So I definitely agree with that 100%. Uh, can I just say, the Phil Noto art with Saturnine, oh my god, she is like beautiful. He's like raw in this whole issue. Yeah. Mm. Like, just, just the art overall in this issue. Like, oh, so good. Like, their faces when they're watching Gorgon die. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And, like, the way that, that, uh, Cable's hair is all disheveled. And... <laughs> <laughs> he just woke up out of bed. <laughs> he just woke up out of a mud bath. <laughs> I also want to point out how in the Gorgon fight, how Ileana was kind of just silent the whole time. Oh, yeah. Like, it's really interesting to point out, especially because she's, I guess, the one character who kind of bonded with him the most. And she's just silent watching fight. And it's sad. And, y- and yet she looks in pain watching mm. watching him die oh my heart goes out for her. she i yeah. think she always felt right so like iliana always thought she had a purpose right her purpose is to just kind of like go and fight and kick ass and that's kind of gorgon's purpose so i think they must have bonded on that level um but yeah just her poor little blue eyes while she's watching it she's like oh oh my heart goes out for all of mm. the mutants and you can tell doug's like oh shit like if gorgon's going out against the white sword what chance would i have yeah yeah. But, All right. I'm sorry. But we there's only one more challenge left. So <laughs> I was going to say we are at the last challenge. All 
Our Friendsgiving celebration continues as we turn things over to Rod, Raven, and Arturo as the three of them continue to take a look at the current Juggernaut series and the value of where non-mutants belong in the X-Universe. This one was a lot of fun to edit, and I hope you guys enjoy. All right, and welcome back. We're going to be talking about Juggernaut number three, written by Fabian Nicieza, with art by Ron Garney and colors by Matt Miller. And that's Milla, not me just saying Miller with an accent. Matt Milla. <laughs> Trying to be cool like the rest of the hip kids. Yeah. Hip hop, yeah. <laughs> So I'm the juggernaut, bitch. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what to make of this series. It's... Uh, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna let one of you guys start because I have a lot of feelings about Juggernaut. I, I'll just say this: like, I love Juggernaut. When I was a kid, I had uh, straight up, I had a crush on Juggernaut and Colossus. So you know, some, <laughs> some of my issues. Some of my I need issues. sad and damaged. <laughs> oh my god, yes. And, and building like dumb. a brick wall. Big and <laughs> right. dumb, honey. I've been I've been looking for himbo since before it was in fashion. Trust me. My, I need my, them as my, big as a city bus. <laughs> <laughs> and about oh, smart God. as one too <laughs> my baggage is deep rooted and long established and <laughs> I, I lo- so i love juggernaut and and i wanted to love this uh you know it to me it harkens back to oh god and i'm the worst at remembering the name of who did what run uh but back in the days of x-men when juggernaut joined the team and he was kind mm-hmm. of like being rehabilitated and he was hanging out with squid boy uh-huh. And I want to say it might have been Guggenheim. I'm not exactly sure, but no it kind of it kind of reminds me of that era of Juggernaut. And I love mm-hmm. Juggernaut as an anti-hero. So mm-hmm. I do hope that that's where we're going. I do hope, uh, and I'm optimistic that this is is going to set him apart from just being a big dumb villain and kind of return to that him trying to do better vibe yeah mm-hmm. but i gotta admit the pacing i mean hey we've been talking a lot about pacing mm-hmm. <laughs> i find the pacing here has been a little weird uh and just kind of there's like a you know big clobbering battle of uh you know each issue and it's not really clear what and why you know what i mean like he was just fighting hulk recently and that doesn't seem too relevant and I, well, it just all feels very disjointed to me. So I'd love to hear okay. you guys' thoughts, yeah. and maybe I, you can give me something better to uh, to see in these pages. Okay, I will. I will do it because Raven also hates this. So I no, I don't. I will do it. I honestly don't. There was there oh, was some, okay. yes, there was some there were some pacing issues, but like not nearly to the same level of the other comics we've just had. <laughs> just, like I I saw um, a a better way to tell the story, mm-hmm. but overall I still enjoy the story so yeah go ahead yeah, well, go see, ahead Rod. Good. don't but worry see, i'll i'll jump I, in I, <laughs> so but see okay so i was i was very okay so when this juggernaut solo got introduced or you know announced mm-hmm. i was like why <laughs> yeah because i'm not <laughs> yeah. I, I you know I appreciate Juggernaut for what he is, but mm-hmm. I don't need a solo from him. I I just don't mm-hmm. just bring him in into another story or something. Make him part of the Avengers. I don't care. So okay. <laughs> so but I I was like I'll take a chance. He's gonna have a mutant in it. I'll read it. So mm-hmm. I I actually really enjoy this story. And we're on is this the third issue? Yes, right. Yes, yes. So the third issue, and I really enjoy. I feel like they're making they're humanizing Juggernaut more. Yeah, and absolutely. more in a more in the present because they have in the past, but 
but that was a while ago and we haven't really seen more of juggernaut except for just being destructive so mm -hmm. we're humanizing him again we're giving him a new suit and like the thing this like this issue kind of brings back what last issue brought was when he was fighting the hulk the whole at the end i like it because the hulk is like well yes i created all this destruction just like you have in the past but my excuse right. is like my five-year-old personality was in charge and that was they it didn't know what it was doing you know well was he was like, also currently rampaging so how 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 the fuck can he go oh well i you can't blame me. I, I had a child like mine back then. Um, bitch, he caught you mid rampage. Well, also he's so... like, also that's like Demon Hulk. He kind of doesn't give a shit. But it, no. I, I like, <laughs> I like, I like, I do like that comparison though because he's like, well, Juggernaut, you knew what you were doing because you were in the right mind and sound. So I feel like Juggernaut coming to that conclusion, he's like, oh, I I need to do better. Like I I remember everything that I have done and I've caused a lot of trouble. And you know what? I'm given this second. Chance chance i found this armor again i'm alive even though you know magic basically tried to kill me i need to do better and i and i this is his journey of doing better with his little like sidekick mutant that doesn't even want to be a mutant i i and and is live streaming everything which is, which is very in the times live streaming <laughs> right. everything so i i love it <laughs> okay but the, so the live streaming to me feels kind of like hey fellow kids how are you doing like yeah. it feels so like trying to do that trying to do what these but kids, kids do are, that are doing on, do their, that. on their on their talk tick and blah blah like that's what it feels like you but know kids I mean? like, live stream they do kids well, live stream everything they do there are certain that. times somebody would have taken the phone out of her hand crunched it and pitched it for distance because she was live streaming while coming in for a landing at a uh at a restricted facility like I, i'm telling you right now a soldier would have taken that phone and pitched it out of the fucking helicopter if she tried doing that I mean, Here, you're not here's wrong. the thing here's the thing so <laughs> so so if you remember um I'm not sure what issue it was, but X Factor when they went to the Mojoverse, right? Mm -hmm. And there's all the streaming content and you're seeing like different usernames and reactions and emojis. And like that to me is a is a fun and interesting way to to contextualize a live stream bit, right? Like uh -huh. I get that that's relevant. I get that it's very believable that this character D Cell, who's of this age, would be live streaming every damn thing, especially if she's got if she's hanging out with a super villain, you know, a reformed super villain. I mean, mm -hmm. imagine all the hits, right? Like, yeah. I get that, but I think there's a fun and interesting way to do it where mm -hmm. it adds something to the story mm -hmm. that's interesting. And instead of that, what we're getting is her just kind of like narrating in this yeah. not entirely believable gen z voice mm -hmm. that that mm -hmm. just it feels a little a little you know it sounded little, it sounded it like, like and it's like a grown-ass adult yeah right, it, it sounded right. it sound like a grown-ass adult was trying to talk through trying to talk to somebody internet. who's a teenager right. and i'm like right eh. like like i'm just i'm grateful we got through the whole issue without her saying something's on fleek <laughs> oh. you know what i mean like but that's what know. it feels like. like it feels corny to me but I've but been watching a lot of TikTok needed. at night. Right. That's what I do. I've been watching a lot of TikTok at night. And I mm -hmm. and I have to say that the kids talk like this. <laughs> <laughs> they talk they they talk this corny ass mess. They try to seem funny. <laughs> 
and it just i i everybody listening talk. right now go on like when you can't sleep go on some tiktok look at look at the look at the little 17 year olds trying to be funny be comedians and this is that person <laughs> like they do not they are not funny but they try to and they try to be famous and it just doesn't work so one thing about this that is that kind of does work for me uh mm-hmm. I do enjoy when 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 a protagonist is teamed up with uh, a young girl sidekick. You know what I mean? Like we usually see yeah. that dynamic uh, with Wolverine. That's that's a <laughs> right? recurring thing. Whether it's <laughs> Kitty Pride or Jubilee mm-hmm. or you know mm-hmm. like or Laura, like that's a recurring thing. So uh, you know, it kind of reminds me also of Sabretooth back in the '90s had uh, a sidekick named Birdie. And that maybe not the best example because it definitely yeah, seemed like uh, say, uh, that seemed like an abusive relationship. This uh, this seems this totally does not come across in any way creepy. It's very yeah. platonic. It's very you know, oh very much so. Well, and the, she's I, trying to rehabilitate his image, image, right? While also kind of building up her own image, right? Her so own, yeah, it's it's an it's an it's an interesting mix between the two of them. I haven't actually totally decided whether I like her there or not. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird. she could talk it's a little weird. bit less. I'm glad that if there's a like, character there, really I'm glad that. that it's that it's a sassy, you know, girl of of person of color, and she's got mm-hmm. attitude and she's got personality. Like, I like that there's something to her that she's not just you know window dressing or or like some. She seems, girl. She you know, seems she's... near the intellectual level, though, of of Juggernaut, where it's the I have a goal, I'm headed towards the goal, and like literally no thought outside of that uh, parameter. And it's like, my dear child, I wish you would talk slightly less and think a little bit more. But yeah, you're a teenager. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Totally. And like, I mean, here's the other thing with Juggernaut. For me, I if we're doing a Juggernaut story, I would love to see something that's more, you know, Juggernaut as he relates to other characters or maybe other characters that used to be villains but are now like kind of, you know, walking Ooh. a different path. Like I would love to see I would love to see Juggernaut, mm-hmm. you know, visit Krakoa and and have a chat with Blob or hang out with Black Tom. Like that's the juggernaut that I am so invested in in seeing. When I heard that there was a juggernaut story coming out, I got excited. And and what I would love to see that I was just telling Raven is I want to see juggernaut as he relates to other characters. Like mm-hmm. I would, even if he's not going to join the X-Men or whatever, he's not welcome to live on Krakoa. He certainly mm-hmm. would be fine to visit, right? Like I would love to see him interact with Pyro and Blob and Black Tom and you know, different people that he's run with in the past, or if he's not going to be on Krakoa, like, I don't know, just, just something different than this. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like Nicieza created a new character so that instead of doing all of that, instead of making it like a continuity, you know, rich thing or, uh, or, or, or something about nostalgia, it's more like, let's do a little, you know, adventure with Juggernaut and, and, Give him a blank slate, new character, and have people react to that. And I think it's fine. It's just, it feels like so many missed opportunities. I'm enjoying it for what it is, but it's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what exactly the point is of it. Mm-hmm. But one one mystery that has me, that has my attention is yeah. D-Cell thinking she's not a mutant. And then the shield equipment saying she is a mutant. And 
that whole mm-hmm. little thing, I want to see what that's all about uh, that I'm interested in. Well, I mean, if she was made into a mutant, the way we've seen it happen in the past a couple of times where um, people's mutant powers were, you know, not present when they were born, nor, you know, when they hit puberty or whatnot. But hey, somebody in the government or in another facility, you know, made their genes trip over and start up a mutant power. Well, she could just think, oh, well, I'm just a genetic experiment, um, but I'm not a mutant. So, like, there there may be very clear uh, differences in, in, in what she considers a mutant versus, yeah, somebody genetically experimented on me and, and gave me these powers. I didn't have them before because um, we've, we've seen that happen. And honestly, when you're trying to find your identity and you're a homeless teen who is a person of color and possibly queer, I'm not totally sure. But yeah, because they do have um, they have ways of picking up on energy signals and telling if you're like a mutant or if you're magic powered or even where that magic is coming from. Because they did note that Juggernaut's outfit or or his his energy signature is reading as Aether, which is that dark elf, red liquidy goodness. Oh, okay, okay, I like that. So speaking of, is is are they or are they not? a mutant back when this was announced i remember i tweeted something at fabian mm-hmm. says are you going to retcon juggernaut into being a mutant so that he can be on krakoa like straight up and mm-hmm. and he said no he was like nope that's uh that's not happening in this series that's above my pay grade or something like that <laughs> i hope it sure never happens said. i yeah, totally I, would love for it to happen i like, it's driven me crazy mm-mm. forever that he's I not i don't a think mutant. it needs to happen it's yeah. fine if it doesn't, but like in a world of so many ratcons, and listen, after the week <laughs> we just had, after the, the motherfucking week that we just had on Twitter with Franklin Richards, I'm lighting a candle for Franklin right now, and you know, these damn straight people taking Franklin Richards and, take, <laughs> and making him not a mutant, I say we got to take him back, take people back. And uh, let's start with Juggernaut. Let's make him a mutant. I, I mean, it, 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 no, no. it would be it would be fun in retrospect to be to retcon to retcon more humans into mutants, but I don't think Kane needs it. No, and I think it would take away from the integral parts of his backstory, where he, all of his power is magical, and we we have a very limited number of people in the Marvel universe who are magic exclusive or magical powered Mm -hmm. and most of them tend to fit into the doctor strange uh portion of the universe and now we have a magically powered person who you know isn't skilled isn't smart isn't brilliant they are just they're ginormous and that that magical power gives them super strength that is practically unstoppable like he needs to be where he is and i but i do feel bad that they're like oh no you can't come to krakoa i'm like what kind of exclusive Exclusive ass bullshit is that? Like, I'm, I'm trying. I have to I mean, go back and remember. Oh yeah, that's right. Mutants are a ham-fisted analogy for people of color and queer people from the '70s because you know we were fighting for civil rights back then. But really, seriously, you can't let a couple of non-mutants into Krakoa. Well, and they're playing. Wow. They're playing with those rules so fast and loose. Oh that yeah, it's you know, I mean, it's it's a little annoying. Um, 
I, I you know, I, we're not going to go get into the whole Fantastic Four thing, but like the thing Hello, about that, Deadpool. one part about that that really Deadpool. pissed me off was the idea that Xavier was like, oh, you're not a mutant, screw you. Because yeah, yeah like, that was bad. that's just not. I'm like, that's what, what Magneto does. What the fuck? Well, and that's just not the story that's been even told recently, you know, with, with yeah. Chip, with Chip, like. I don't know. There's a million other ways I could have gone, and I think it was horrible. I think there's a lot worse stuff about that than than just Xavier's reaction, but I think Xavier's reaction really sucked. The, the one and, thing yeah. I will say about that is I feel like, not that we're going to go full on in that, but I feel like it's not Xavier, you know? Hmm. I, f- I feel like, I feel like, because how would, unless Xavier, um, unknowingly to Franklin, put a mind connection with Franklin without his permission to know what Franklin's doing all the time. How would he does he that know? with everybody? I mean, true. It's very on brand for him. But, right. I'm like, but, and like, like, yeah. how, <laughs> but how would he know Franklin's coming to Krakoa right at that second? Unless, you know, he wouldn't, right? Unless he had a brain connection, which he could. So I don't know if that's, I don't know. I feel like it's a- Well, you move enough a, energy, you're going to pick up on the force being disturbed. So I mean, true. Like, listen, I, I, I get that not everybody in X-Men comic books needs to be a mutant. I get yeah. that. I and and like there's other examples that I think are even a little weirder like the fact that Brian Braddock is not a mutant but his biological twin sister is. That to me has always been a little weird. It's like why wouldn't that you is weird. Both be mutants? That is weird. Um, no, that that, so, that makes you know, sense. I, so I get it like and and I'm gl- <laughs> and I'm glad that 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 there's something interesting about D-cell in her identity uh, being unclear whether she is or is not a mutant. I think mm-hmm. that's cool. Mm-hmm. I do it like kind of, a lot. It, yeah, I'm excited to. I I, I want to get to know her more. I I hope she, uh, I hope she sticks. I hope she. You know, we maybe we see her on Co or something. I could see other people doing fun stuff with her. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with her. I think it's it's interesting, and I think the whole question of of mutant identity and this, uh, you know. The, the gene exclusivity of getting on Krakoa, you know, that that's, it's an interesting thing. I think we pretty soon we'll be able to make a montage of, uh, of, of professor Xavier astral saying projecting, no. telling people <laughs> <laughs> saying right. no bitch. Call again later. Bye. Okay, okay, can we... Deadpool. Nope. Deadpool. You can't come here. Damn it. I don't need another voice in my head. It's... I mean, we do I mean, Kokoa, <laughs> even if Deadpool was canonly a mutant, I don't think they'd want him to come there anyway. Like, Well, yeah, no. I could see them banning Deadpool for the sake of, it's freaking Deadpool. Shit's yep. going to be on fire in about five seconds flat if somebody is not constantly there to babysit his ass and make sure that he doesn't, oh, I don't know, dig up Krakoa. Like, I will say this, Did you just kill though, the island? I will uh... say this. One of, one of my favorite Deadpools was Deadpool when he was with X-Force. Mm-hmm. I really, oh, yeah. he really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that, and I think that you know that that has kind of earned him a spot. You know where he where he could come. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he's not part of an ongoing team. I'm glad yeah. we're not getting a lot of Deadpool. You know, we, but I, I'm fine with him visiting. I'm more fine with him visiting than Gwenpool. Uh, just structurally I, as hey, a character. I like Gwenpool being a mutant. I but like so it. So do I. She's fun. <laughs> She's fun. Like Gwenpool, I kind of see almost as like like the Roger Rabbit of of like oh the Marvel God, Universe. Yes. That she's kind of like this cartoon that plays in the real world, you know, kind of vibe. <laughs> and it's, 
she's fine. She's fine for what she is, but I'm I'm glad mm. we get limited amounts of Gwenpool. I'm glad I she, love that. You're I'm like, she's neither one fine. Of them. She's fine. She's <laughs> fine. I'm, I'm glad that, that neither one of them are like big parts of Kragawa. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, again, it goes back to the, you know, are they mutants or not? And Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that I, I think I do agree with what you're saying though, um, Raven, about with Juggernaut, that is part of his story. Rereading a lot of like X Men and whatnot, I'm like, oh my god, Charles Xavier is is oh god, he's he's oh he's he's a dick. He's a yeah. dick. He's abusive. He he violates consent all the goddamn time. He's a horrible person, honestly. Yeah, he's, not, he's not great. <sighs> he he's definitely he's gotten better. I feel like hot spots but still has that underlining sinister yeah oh yeah no i don't trust hotspox xavier as far as i can throw him like there's been there's been something wheelchair or not (laughs) there's been something (laughs) creepy about him since that first panel that we saw of him in the in the hatchery or whatever in like in the Mm in Krakoa. Yeah, there's there's been no, trust me, he's creepy him. before then. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm I'm part of the cult. I'm, you know, I I'm here with with the ex people, but I don't trust Xavier and yeah. yeah, I, yeah there yeah. there's something there's going to be a big reveal at some point. Oh yeah. One oh, yeah, thing I absolutely. do want to talk about with Juggernaut is on the uh where he just looks so beautiful when we finally see oh. him get his new um armor he's like that okay this is the first time i'm with arturo on this one mm-hmm. um first time i've ever seen juggernaut be attractive to me right? so hot with the beard I, ooh, and the shaggy right. hair oh that 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 panel to me really is that's like the standout of this issue by far like and really I, 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 I vehemently i vehemently dislike facial hair on everybody save maybe five percent of the population and god damn it if they didn't find that five percent i'm like oh daddy <laughs> what oh, oh okay that works it works it, it passes so the test good. <laughs> right i'm like looks so good. Good. and it felt it felt True to the situation, it he felt looks real. Like, he looks like Thor's redheaded cousin, right? right. <laughs> Eric the, the Red. <laughs> oh, oh I, so actually, hot. I forgot he is actually part of a team, kinda. He is in Savage mm-hmm. Avengers currently, right now. So, well, and well, and he's also working for um the that uh, oh god dang it the the demolition company. True, yeah. So see, he's he's yeah. making a name for himself again. Yeah, he yeah, can, he I can have... work with other people. It just he's 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 a sledgehammer. He's a sledgehammer, and you just you point him at a cinder block wall. Yeah, yeah. I I lo- listen. I love Juggernaut. I love Kane Marco so much, mm-hmm. and I I want the best for him. Uh, yeah. I have some issues with with the you know the pacing or kind of the mm-hmm. the direction of this. It feels a little you know it's fast. It's it's very fast. it's fast yeah. and it's weird. Like I I keep I'm like didn't he just fight Hulk last issue? Like right. and why did that matter? And I don't even care enough to go get the right. issue to look yeah, like that, that. That to me is a problem that I'm not like yeah. pouring over it and like I really care. And I don't know. I mean maybe that's just. Something about it's not hitting for me, but the yeah, art no, is the art's pretty that. solid, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping for the best for Juggernaut. You know, I, yeah. I hope this ends in a good place where where we see more for him. Yeah. And I think you guys, I think you guys have talked me into you know it's okay <laughs> that he's not a mute. Yeah. yeah, I feel like this this solo is a five issue story of just mm-hmm. like you know reintroducing Juggernaut to like the new the newer crowd of comic book people in his own yeah. little story and being mm-hmm. like well where does he go from here after this story this is a story introducing him on his own to the comic world
world again. And then being like, well, he has a new suit. He's kind of good now. Now let's see where he goes. You know, I don't think he's good. I think he's neutral. And well, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, okay yeah. with him being very neutral for a while while he finds his way. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's going like from yeah. chaotic neutral to, to lawful neutral, maybe. maybe? Yeah, yes. lawful neutral. Yeah, yes. lawful neutral. I think that's a very good jump. Yeah. But yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. I, and, yeah. And thoughts on the new suit? I like oh, I love, the new suit. I love it. It's way better than the other one. I love it. I love yeah, it. I, I think it's I, great. I think it's great that it is similar enough to the other one because like, yeah. here's the thing with Juggernaut's look. It is iconic. Like. Mm-hmm. Definitely. He's got a design that is that is just very unique and it's very recognizable. And like you don't fuck with that too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can have some fun with it. You can try to modernize it a little bit or whatever. But <laughs> I'm glad that they didn't throw it away. Uh, I'm glad they've kept it. But yeah, this is a cooler version of it. I like the little... You know the little sexy harness addition to it. Oh yeah. Well, they ch- they streamlined it and they changed it just enough that now you can actually see the magic because before in his old suit the the magic was you know usually held within the helmet or uh, within the red gem that was somewhere on his person, but you never really saw it. On this, you actually see the aether wrapped around him. You right. can see mm-hmm. the magic like laying there on top. Like he could summon the damn thing from a another world so yeah yeah, it it gives it even like it gives it more of the yeah he's magic not a mutant and it's Mm -hmm. badass and i'm very okay with that i mean yeah he takes on hulk and he levels buildings and then he takes on freaking uh quicksand i was happy to see quicksand that yeah so that i like i'm an old school i used to love spider-man so much as a kid yes. and i didn't know who quicksand was <laughs> I, the old, like i have not thought of this character probably since i was like 12 but right. i i had like a i've had a thing for sandman and then mm-hmm. when i discovered that there was like a girl version of him my gay ass stand her right away i was like oh even better sandman with boobs like awesome right? Right. And yeah, but the and, moment and, she said Fräulein, I'm like, oh, something's not right there because I know she ain't German. I have not seen her on panel in since literally Ooh, I was she, a child. Is so she Sandman's daughter? Or... I don't think she has anything to do with no. Sandman. She has okay. nothing yeah. to do with him. But like, okay. you you have to draw the comparison because I mean, it was yeah. just you know yeah. at the time they were just very similar you know yeah um mm-hmm. and yeah I mean that so I I'm a big sucker for that like pull up some d-list out of the waste bin reference character that you know kids nowadays have never seen or whatever and bro you like you got me you got my oh attention. god yeah so I, yeah. I like that i did enjoy that touch of nostalgia in the middle of it all yes well, yeah yes. i mean talk talk about nostalgia the person who was freaking controlling quicksand that's nostalgia for you oh my god that nazi <laughs> i was like right what you bringing back Dr. Zola? What? That is, in- that is interesting. Like, okay. The thing, like, I like ab- the thing I like about bringing Nazis into a story is that right. it's always very clear that they're mm-hmm. the bad guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's not right. so much this, like, nuanced, oh, well, they're fighting for their cause and we're fighting for our cause. It's mm-hmm. like, no, fuck you. You're a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Which I, yeah. it just lends more credence to my thought that she may have been genetically experimented on if Zola is trying to hunt her down. Because Zola uh, uh, oh yeah. was trying to refine super soldier serum, if I'm not mistaken. 
And, you know, she could be a, a genetic experiment with, you know, some of you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try and do the super soldier serum. Nope, that didn't work. Uh, just produced a mutant. Well, fuck, still, this this could work to our advantage kind of thing. Yeah, I can see so, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like yeah. that. And, yeah, so, yeah, I'm 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 interested to see what the next two issues of uh, Juggernaut are going to do, uh, honestly. <laughs> but, yeah, I think I think they did pretty good with taking a character that is traditional a villain and just instead of trying to go oh no they're a good guy now just just gently moving it to the point where we can go okay you're not a bad guy yeah i'm okay with that yeah, kind of like how dc is doing with like harley quinn you know yeah you know, they gradually made her into not a bad guy and now mm-hmm. she's more anti-hero working mm-hmm. her way to be a hero even though she's still killing oh, people. no <laughs> she, she she will always be an anti-hero and i'm very very oh, yeah, no, happy she, with that oh yeah she's always an anti-hero but in her mind she's like i'm gonna try to be a hero but i'm just gonna kill these people real quick it's okay (laughs) (laughs) and i I have a feeling that uh they're going to be doing the same with kane marco um in that they're going to make him an anti-hero but not yeah not a hero hero i don't think i ever want to see him as a hero hero you know what i would love to see juggernaut Mm. on the hellions how (gasps) fun would that be like I, I can see that. Sinister doing that just as a fuck you to Charles. I, I would love that. Or, or Charles putting Juggernaut there and kind of like uh, him and Juggernaut <laughs> having a conversation and him being like, listen, I need to fuck up on this team to watch Sinister's back because Sinister right. is shady as hell. That's true. You know who we need on the Hellions though? Mm. And I posted about it on Twitter this week. We need uh, oh, yes. Typhoid. We need Typhoid Mary. Oh, she's a, she's a mutant. Uh, uh, yes, please give it to me. She's a mutant. Brilliant. That's brilliant. I would love that. Yes. I would love to see her in your face with Krakoa. I yes, I love that idea. There's so much. Uh, yeah, like we're not even talking about Hellions this week, our room, but I uh, like it's just I continue to love that book and I am so excited. I, I don't know if you guys saw the solicits, but uh mastermind is on the cover of an upcoming issue i saw so that's so exciting like yes again give me these fuck up and i would love to see juggernaut hanging out with them because that that would just be everything gods yes no that that would that would be great if they went back and they found like uh lesser known or lesser used mutants and just kind of slowly cycled them in so you actually do see that krakoa is for all mutants and not just oh yeah it's, it's for all mutants but you have to have um an invitation and uh four letters of recommendation there you uh, go two see? years of past job history it's like no show me that it is for all mutants bring in you know some lesser known mutants or lesser used mutants let's see them come to Krakoa and you know set up a you know set up a community and whatnot and then every now and again hey uh we got this thing going on and we're looking for people with this kind of power and you know if you'd like to help and see like characters step out of the past and onto the pages again that would be a great way to like cycle them through if you need new faces if you want to give a character a rest if you want to add more storyline like That'd be a great thing to do. And I'd love to see that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and like, you know, other people have written a lot more about this, but obviously, (laughs) you know, Krakoa, there's a lot to the Israel metaphor and, Mm -hmm. and Zionism and the right of return and all of that. And 
you know, I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable enough to discussing that at <laughs> length, right? But like, mm-hmm. th- th- there is a lot to be said for that, right? And and how that has been baked into this era right from the get go, right? Like mm-hmm. right from the jump, Magneto was, you know, in the, in Israel at the at the embassy, you know, meeting with diplomats. So I think mm-hmm. that is part of it. I think that's interesting. I think there's stories to be told uh, about mutants who do not want to assimilate and do not want to go to Krakoa. I think that's yeah. there. There's definitely a vein worth tapping there. Um, and, and yeah, and then, and again, like humans or these, you know, or, or these ambiguous characters like Diesel and like how they fit into Krakoan society, I think is, uh, is, mm-hmm. is very cool that, that we're seeing all these different dimensions to, to the metaphor. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. I would love to see more of that. It's like, I would love to see more of that. And, and instead of like solo books, like Cable or Wolverine, I would want to take mm-hmm. those to the side and put them on hiatus <laughs> and then, and then see more like either books about like dating on Krakoa or just hmm. mutant that don't want to go to Krakoa are another team yeah. of mutants that aren't as well known. Ooh, mm-hmm. give me Freedom Force. I need a I need a re <laughs> restructured yes. Freedom Force that's oh operating like yes. for, yeah, like yeah. There's, there's so many more stories to be told. Like mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I I want a whole series about just the House of M. Like I want to see. I want to get yeah. more into like what's going on with Magneto. I want to see like former acolytes and people that you know at different eras like literally worshipped him like a messiah i get mm-hmm. that they're not there now but there is this whole element of magneto was right that underlines all of house of x right like mm-hmm. this separatist society is kind of the the drum he's been beating since day one and uh well and look I at charles love, I, delivering that message all over the place no exactly. no can't have you Oops, no can't have you it's like bitch you are you, you're you're pulling a magneto sir he is he is he's turning they're switching roles mm-hmm. big time mm-hmm. big time and and i love that they're they're still this like they very much have this like odd couple um you know what i mean his and yeah. his like you could imagine them like they own a B&B, you know, in Provincetown or something like they're very that they're, right. they're very like a married couple. And I think it's so cute. And uh, and you see it all the time where, you know, we're kind of like Magneto tempers Charles or Charles kind of calms Magneto down. But like they're absolutely a married couple at this point. If they oh, would yeah. just hurry up and goddamn kiss already, that just, you know. Let's That's you know what this is one relationship. Octogenarians that I'm, in love. I'm totally okay with it being exactly as it is. Like it could be subtext. It's like nobody has to talk about it, but neither one of them are dating anybody else, and neither one of them I really mean, goes. You know. you know what I mean? It's right? like I'm totally okay with some subtext. And when it comes yeah. to Magneto and Professor X, rather than hearing everybody lose their minds about oh, my <laughs> Professor X wasn't gay, it's like. No, they've always been gay, and if you can't... well, they don't even have to be gay. They can be bi. They can be pan. I mean, like you know, the the fact that they just have to sh- yeah, yeah, the fact that they have to shove them into like one box of oh, you're just this. No, no, oh, you know like, they will, but... <laughs> right? <It's> like, <laughs> no, no, let it be a little bit more free form. But every now and again, just kind of like hint at it. you don't even, like like you said, you don't have to say it out loud, but hint at it. Like you know, yeah, we've been doing this a long time. Yeah, everyone on Coca-Cola is everything. Yeah. No one's really straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody's spaghetti. <laughs> and to conclude our holiday, a little dessert. 
the promised second half of Josh and Mai's conversation about Apocalypse that barely talks about Apocalypse. We hope you guys enjoy. Did everybody know that Apocalypse was an old man in an Apocalypse suit? And how does that have anything to do with him being a lady a few issues earlier? And he's... Well, he is. They're all really cool. I think it's in issue one. Because they just gloss over um, the fact that, like, there were so many incarnations of Apocalypse in between then and now, and he's taken over so many bodies in the interim, um, and he's burning through them faster and faster as he gets closer to his death. And then Gene Ha gets, like, the corner of a panel to basically, um, like, just kind of show off and do a bunch of crazy future Apocalypse all-body designs, and it's great. It just feels like there's the more interesting parts of this miniseries are the parts we didn't get. Yeah, I've- I would much have rather found out more about Apocalypse than, like... Because, like, you know, there's all that touching stuff where Rachel's like, Cable, it's in you all along. You're the magnet or whatever. And Cable's like, I'm a little bit robot and a little bit rock and roll. And, like, I really enjoy them having their Donnie and Marie moment. But I found myself wondering why so frequently the answer is, it's you. It was always you. You could do it. You could just always do it. Always. That's the secret. You could do it. And that wasn't filled out here. Other writers have gone back and fleshed that out more, and I love, 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 love anytime writers go flashback to Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix era of his childhood with Slim and Red. I love it so much and other writers have definitely given us more of that development um after because like we said this is the spirit it's not a great read it's like the actual reading of it isn't but it's given us opportunities to get that later um and it also gives us you know you'll be many things to many people sometimes loved and respected other times feared and hated almost always misunderstood Someday, you'll be a cable that unites the past with the present and future. Yesterday with today and tomorrow. You'll be all those things, Nathan Christopher. But know that you'll never be alone. With news and weather at the top of the hour and every 15 minutes. He's cable because he's the cable that connects the past with the present and the future. It's really terrible. It's truly terrible. Because, like... Oh, God. And like, you know, it's it's so difficult because when Cable came out, his name was Cable. And that was cool. But, like, where's his cousin's satellite? And well, his- so he tried to make it mean something. Lobdell tried. He tried to give it a strong moment and make it mean something. <laughs> and it ultimately means nothing. nothing. Like, I love that we're walking away from this saying... Yeah, I like that the Summers have this, like, little dreamscape they get to go to sometimes, and it's nice, and it's not this Apocalypse's problem, it's that other Apocalypse's problem. And no, and you just... mentioned, Apocalypse has no story here. Apocalypse no. is an old man waiting to die. For you are an old man issues. and a fool! An old man in an Apocalypse costume waiting to die? Like, he literally is an old man in an Apocalypse suit! This is Vincent <laughs> Adult Man! This is it's so confusing because like the way it's drawn, like the big body is in between two heads, like it hasn't chosen which one, and then the chest open up, and a little withered old man, like the alien from the beginning of Men in Black, comes out of like the chest where he's like controlling it with little arcade joysticks. He looks more like a Dalek than Apocalypse. There's a little wormy thing controlling the robot inside. <laughs> It's because this is the body. This is his last chance. He needs the cable body. 
since he lost it in Endgame, he's been trying to hold on until that point where he could get the baby in the future. He finally thinks he got the baby, and he's waiting for it to be, like, old enough and strong enough to survive. So he normally would burn out a body and not let people see him this week. But he is at a withered, weakened state that would incite revolution if people saw it. So he has to hide in an apocalypse costume, which makes sense and is hilarious. Stop. Stop justifying. That is not... Stop. It's not good! It's not done good. No, no, it's not... <laughs> And so this is one of four miniseries that it's Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, Ascani Sun, Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, and Rise of Apocalypse. And they all sort of came out like one right after another, like right on the heels of each other. But by the end of Rise of Apocalypse, there is no way this is the same canon. There's just no so, way. Unfortunately, one of the things, no, there's no way. One of the things that we've seen too over time with X-Men is that we we find ourselves in one of two eras. We find ourselves in an era where the best stories being told are in the main line and the miniseries are just money grabs and are hot garbage because the main line's doing the work. And so the miniseries are just extra publication cash grabs. The Astonishing Era. Or we find ourselves in an era where the main line is garbage and the only place that anything good is being done is in the miniseries. And so when the we look back and think of times where we have great miniseries, it usually coincides with hard garbage mainline. And when we look back at times where we have like, what the fuck is going on in this miniseries? Like it, like it's cash grab to the main. So like, this is definitely an era where the mainline was selling so much that it, yeah, miniseries didn't like, we got all of those Howard Mackie solo runs. We got, like, there's a Storm Solo, there's a Gambit Solo, there's uh, the a Storm Rogue Solo, solo a which Bishop has Cable. Solo. The Storm Solo is Cable and Storm Flirting, written by Warren Ellis. There's a parody um, you don't care about. Because you do whatever you want, yeah. Pride and Wisdom, where, you know... That's amazing, though. <laughs> Pride and Wisdom... Okay, so the first two issues are, I think, actually very good comic. The yes. third issue is filled with, let's just wrap this shit up, and oh my god, I can't believe he did that cringeworthy moments. Championed most at all by one of the cringeworthiest moments in all of X-Men. Warren Ellis thinks it's sexy to have Pete Wisdom choking a kitty pride of questionable age as they fade into a sexy encounter with them. Um, ha! <laughs> That was the second of Kate's four Pete's. There was Colossus Pete, Pete Wisdom. Then over in the Ultimate Universe, there was Petey Parker. And now, of course, there is uh, Peter Quill there for a hand. You know, I, 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 uh, I actually wonder if Marvel is making a hard move to kick this from canon completely. So by now having teens. Teen Cable that they get to it's raise. So bad, but I love it. And like honestly, that is how I feel about a lot of the stuff from the mid '80s. It's so bad, but it's mine, and you can't have it. You, you can't, can't have that from Nightcrawler mini pack. No. Until you accept Kid Cable, you don't get past Kid Cable. They have to accept my Kid Cable, and then this can be part of the Marvel Legacy films or whatever, like that they're doing over on a uh, Disney Plus, where now everything that's not Marvel Cinematic Universe is Marvel Legacy. There, there should be a name for the out of canon stuff that just doesn't make sense anymore. That they want to still keep selling and still keep putting into trade and hardcover and omnibus. There should be a no, name for that. All run. of those, all of those characters and their storylines are in um, one of the dark zones on the Krakoa map that no one else is allowed to visit. 
I would read that. That's what's yeah. going to be there. All of the out-of-canon versions of characters. A teleporter no place. The no place. They yeah. all live in the, the Krukowin no place. That's what's there. Because here's here's another thing that, like, I, I know it makes no sense, and it's not really worth thinking about, but where the fuck is Moira in all of this? In Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's because that's why I was saying that, like, this apocalypse, like, Apocalypse's storyline has finally gone somewhere where it can't. Because to be honest, it hasn't, even though you said the things don't line up with canon, like it hasn't really actually gone anywhere where it couldn't because the deviations were not as significant as this. Like they've deviated from this, but not told stories that were as important, which means you can kick the deviation and keep this. It's only now in the Dawn of X that we have deviations that are more important than this. Now, that I like make this I, suspect out of canon. I like your use of more important because I have long said you kind of get to be a canonist. You kind of get to pick the ones that you want to go with because everything can't make sense. It just does not work anymore that everything can make sense. And that hasn't worked since like the 1980s. So for the most part, I kind of pick and choose my canon. And the parts I'm going to pick and choose from this are essentially Scott and Gene raising Cable. But I think for my money, I'm just going to pretend that that's Ozymandias in the Apocalypse suit. I'm just going to pretend that it's some other not-quite-Apocalypse. Maybe it's Miss Sinister, right? It's someone just forgotten to time running around in the Apocalypse suit. Because I like parts of this, but I cannot accept that this could have ever been the Endgame universe. Like... It just feels empty, and they're expecting us to rely on the fact that we care about Gene and Scott, and we care about Cable, and we care about the defeat of Apocalypse. They're relying on us wanting certain conclusions to come due to root for them happening here, but they don't really give us a reason to care. I am glad to see Gene and Scott get to raise a baby, but is this the story I wanted about the great summer's rebellion and the great Ascani revolution of the future that was promised to me starting in days of the future past? Is this so that story? Let's say two things here. One, one Hickman's future 616 futures are not the same. Every time Hickman writes a new story, Hickman's Absolutely. fantastic Four 616 future is not the same as his Avengers 616 future is not the same as his X-Men 616 future. And not the same as the stuff foretold in S.H.I.E.L.D. Agreed? Yeah. So first off, there's that. Second, I will take this as I am going to just write it in my own head as headcanon, pocket dimension. Okay, because, I like that. Because, I mean, really, we do have all of these futures. Yes, we've seen the Summer's Rebellion not really make sense timeline-wise in Peter David's hand. Um, like, the things Peter David did with Young Bishop and the concentration camps and the things he did with the Summer's Rebellion were very cool and yeah. should be good parts of the canon. But they don't even timeline up make sense with fucking each other. Like, right. in his own single run of X Factor, when he goes from little girl Layla in there two years later and, like, like the ages of things get all cross-fucked. Um, so there's that. I also love what he did with Trevor Fitzroy. Though. Trevor Fitzroy there from the Summer's Rebellion. And the way he matched that with Layla to making the Trevor Fitzroy that comes back in 281 is so fucking good. Anyway. And I, um, and I love the the Summer's Rebellion stuff and Ruby mm -hmm. Summers belongs on Krakoa. And like... You just have uh, to timeline it. Like, we've branched off, diverted, you know, so many times that each of these futures is their own now pocket dimension AU, whatever. So... 
this is one branch off, meaning that when they travel to it, it's like traveling multiverse pocket dimension. That Summer's Rebellion one, the Bishop one, the, they're all just those, right? Could we veer bridge. off? Yeah, we missed the turnoff for this one at some point in the timeline. But I think at this point in the universe, this was the only road. You know what I mean? Like, there's that logical road. If you're on a highway, right? You're driving mm -hmm. on the parkway, right? You're on the Garden State. And you're headed toward the city, right? You can mm -hmm. get off at 140 to grab the Gothels. Or you can get off at 129 to grab the Turnpike. Or you can shoot way the fuck down, go down to the Atlantic City Expressway, and grab the, the Turnpike around there. But the logical one, if you're heading north, you could down, go all the way up to the TZ and come down through Yonkers. Why anyone would optionally drive through Yonkers is well beyond my capacity. But can they get to avoid the GW and stop in Nyack? Anyway, okay. Oh, my whole family's from Nyack. That's so much fun. I used to spend time there all the time. So I feel like there's that logical road that you're on, right? And the logical road at this point in canon was this, but it's because the past and the future were so bled together from one thing. Because this is specifically Hound Rachel, I'm going to make a really strong headcanon projection here. This apocalypse, even if he is apocalypse, which he can be, maybe I'm wrong, I would like to think he's Ahab. He's Ahab warped by the time stream over and over again. And this is a Days of Future Past apocalypse hybrid universe. And that's why it has to make sense of Hound Rachel and all of the things set up in Days of the Future Present and Days of the Future Past and Days of the Past Participle Present Future Imperfect. And that's why it ties in all of that. And it still has all of these antiquated notions. This is a future born of its past. And yeah, it is. Now we're looking at a future born of a future. And that's and different. I would compare this to DC in a sense. And so we were talking earlier about um, DC's continuity, you know, before we started this video, I think. It might be on the video. I don't know. <laughs> um, we've been doing this a while now. but And how, you know, a, a comic shop owner that we both used to know, you know, would tell any customer who would listen that the biggest mistake DC ever made was Crisis on Infinite Earths. Because they've never figured out how to balance their timelines and continuity since then. And it's been snowballing out of control, which it, he's right. It's given them a bunch of great stories in the in-between and a bunch of great eras, but cohesively moving forward, it's snowballed and can become a bigger problem every time they've had to deal with it. This is definitely an attempt by Marvel writers, Scott Lobdell and Bob Harris here, editorially, to try and make single timeline, to try and do DC and make things run in single continuity. The fact that Marvel has branched from this and allowed themselves to deviate and have so many multiple futures, alternate worlds, branch off and take those different exits on the turnpike, like you said, is what has made them more successful in their long-form storytelling over the last 20 years than DC has been. And, you know, I think about Earth-X. I don't know if you were ever an Earth-X fan, but I was pretty I big was I was pretty big into it. Like, I was, and it's embarrassing. But I loved it, right? And at the time, it felt like it could be the future of the Marvel Universe. You know, around the same time, you had MC2, which felt like it could be the future of the Marvel Universe if it aged in real time. I'm a big Mayday Parker fan. Huge Mayday Parker fan. And uh, J2, you know, as a guy who eventually became a gay man, very into athletics and working out, uh, a nerdy guy who nobody expected anything of who could turn into the juggernaut. That was absolutely my shit at 12 years old. So, you know, when you think about the different, oh, that was the possible future of the Marvel Universe, a lot of them are very in line. No, it stemmed out of a what if. 
Yeah, it stemmed out of one of uh, what if one hundred and five, I think, right? And one hundred and five. It's one hundred and five or one hundred and Yeah, and know. you know, I think about. I was subbing to what if at the time. That's so. amazing. That's my dad saw it and was like, "Oh, it's a girl spider person. He's gonna want it," and just like grabbed it for me. I got all of them, like even the bad one. Like there were a lot of bad ones, but just because I loved the, I loved that. I love that I could have a monthly what if. That's amazing. I miss that. I'm excited about the show for that reason. Yes. Um, but like I think about when you go forward, the futures that we get after a while are Here Comes Tomorrow, which is not born of where the X-Men were at the time. It was born of new X-Men only. And I think about the future that we got in the Battle of the Atom era with President Dazzler and, you know, all of, like, Ray's... And all of Xavier's uh, bastard children. Yeah. I, I think about that future and how that was not born out of anything going on in the books at the time. That was a fever. Well, he undid that. Bendis undid that himself at the end of Last One Testament of Charles Xavier. Right. But even at the time, it didn't seem like an organic place that the books were moving. It seemed like, a, oh, what the fuck is happening? And that worked for it. I think this was the last time they said, let's try and keep the, the future of the X-Men one thing. And after this, we sort of accepted, like, how can the XSE timeline exist in the Days of Future Past timeline, exist in the Ascani timeline, exist in the Summer's Rebellion timeline? Well, the Ascani and- timeline is easier because, you know, it's the only one everyone forgets. Because it's so poorly done, like, so many writers forget, too, and that's part of why. They're like, no, Cable was what? Like, he was just, like, 100 years ahead in the future or 50 years ahead. No, Cable's a 1,000 fucking years ahead in the future. Cable was so fucking far gone down in the future that all of the other future stories are insignificant. This could be way oh, yeah. deep past them anyway. 1,000%. And Except I- for a Powers of 10. Oh, because that, that definitely <laughs> jumps forward a good Power of 10 there. <laughs> And, you know, Except just, for that one, but all the rest. I feel like we're we're talking about you know Excalibur, Excalibur. Hi, we're talking about Apocalypse and you know future stories in Ascani. And the I feel like future tense was Excalibur, wasn't it? Yeah, that's where my head was, right? Um, and I think Days of Future Present was in the Ellis Excalibur later on. Days is is. I actually bought the hardcover of it recently, and uh, yeah, there's actually a pretty interesting hardcover out there. You showed me that. Yeah. Yeah. It's got Uncanny 141, 142, uh, Annual 14, Excalibur 52, 66, 67, Wolverine Days of Future Past 1 through 3, and then a bunch of the stuff from the Annuals crossover. So it's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. that it's all in one neat-to-go place. Days of Future Past collections are always interesting because it's a story that they always want to have in publication because it will always sell, but it's two fucking issues long. So they always have to find other things to put in the trader collection with it. And yeah, the different versions or pairings or the way to do it different or make it different from the last one are always interesting. And they must be so annoyed that that's, that represents a really interesting point where the title changed names technically. That's where it went from X-Men to Uncanny X-Men, mm-hmm. 141 to 142. And then 143 marks the end of the burn tenure. So then 144 to 150 kind of flails a little bit till it gets its bearings at 150. And the eventually- Oh, wait, so dude, 140, 150 is the third in a three-part story that is flailing all through 148 and 149 until it gets 150 which really sparks the next 50 issues. 150 really gets rolling to 200. 200 is essentially the 250 bookend that that era perfectly around Magneto. Um, Do do you know why that is? Because I'll tell you, Claremont likes to plan in 50s. 
He plans in 50s. He does the first 25 detailed and then the next 25 loose. And so that's why the same things come due every 50 years or so. And when you look at 150 to 175 and how tightly plotted they are, and then 175 to to 199 and how uh, loose story it's running, where literally like he figures out what's next, he figures out what's next, he figures out what's next with so many hit great single issues popping up in the middle. Like that is an era of amazing single issues until you get to 200, which is the bookend from 150. That and, really you know, explains, that explains that era so well, what you just said. Well, and think about 125 kicks off the Phoenix saga and 175 brings Jason Wingard back. Think about how the brood show up in the uh, mid 150s and then come back in the early 200s. Except for the fact of the crossover pushing it out. Well, 175 also really ends the Cyclops era, brings in the Storm era. Like, yeah. where they had been kind of together, playing off of each other, kind of like co-leaders, you're the leader, but I'll listen to you if you want stuff for 150 to 175. Once he marries Maddie, we are Storm driving the next 25 issues until then we get 201 feud and definitively put a pin in it. So and then, that way, Shooter can fuck it up a few months later in X-Factor. Then that era resets it uh, like roughly 227. So it resets about 25 issues after that. And then that runs till roughly 275, 280, where it resets again. Claremont loves his 50s. His 25s and his 50s represent a lot of what... And 275 to 250 is the tightly plotted. Or 225 to 250 is the tightly plotted. And then we start getting a lot of big single issue stories and the meandering until the Jim Lee takes over and a did it into the Moore Island and we're out. Yeah. And it's, man, I think we started this to talk about one specific four issue miniseries and instead we've talked about all of time. The history. This is the history of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, this is this is Wade's Histmu. You're all welcome. I've been Javier Rodriguez the third. And uh, it's been terrific. I'm Javier Rodriguez the fourth. Oh well, terrific! It is the third, right? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember, so I'm pulling it off the shelf. There is no number, so I've projected a number. I I am the third, Perfect. though. Terrific. Um, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I am so excited to keep reading these Apocalypse miniseries because I've never been more aware that the X Men as a timeline means nothing. Like, the X-Men love to think about the future based on the past, and I feel like, for the first time, Hickman is creating a past based on his projected future. He knows what he wants the endgame to be, so he retroactively gave us Moira and her ten lives. He retroactively gave us Arako and Okara. I feel like he knows where he wants the end, so instead he's going to work his past to make more sense— Whereas these eras were so, and I mean this with love, so desperate to suckle at the teat of Chris Claremont's greatness that they were unwilling to move past that 15 years that defined an entire industry. You know, the X-Men weren't significant until 1975. Tell me how they're the best-selling comic book franchise of all time. Scott Lobdell was the guy your mom dated after the divorce, like who had like a really boring job, but like... um you know, represented kind of like a relationship and opened up like a different part of the world. Like they could go eat at different restaurants now, but like really allowed her to not have to change her life too much um, while still getting some fresh dick. 
Like that was that was Scott Lobdell. Scott Lobdell, Scott Lobdell with Mom's Fresh Dick. Yeah, Scott Lobdell was yeah like he was like the, the assistant foreman, you know, for a construction company who could tell boring stories that would make you go to sleep and like different types of food than your dad did and gave your mom fresh dick. Yeah. Does that make Nicieza the uncle that never got that he never stood a chance? Obviously. <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh, man. Now, okay, so obviously next we have to talk about Ascani-san, uh, yeah. the next four-issue mini, because I don't know if people realize the time on this. This was 95. Ascani-san is 96. Further Adventures is 96. Rise of Apocalypse is 97. Now, I'm going to make a bit of a jump here. Uh, Adventures, Further Adventures by Milligan introduced Sinister into all of this jam, and then Sinister gets followed up on in the Hellfire reference, Whether you're Gene Ha or someone else, don't draw um, 12-year-old boys in their underwear ever, even if, like, that's what the 12-year-old boy happens to be wearing. It can be off-panel. doesn't have to be on-panel. Just saying. It can be in shadow. It can be covered. He can wear a doesn't, doesn't have to doesn't have to be a thing. You don't have to actually do that. It really wasn't necessary. You know, honestly, just to take a minute, the art, not my favorite. I understand they were going for a rough, you know, in the early 90s, there was one comic that outsold them all, and that was Sandman. And I know that people love Drindenberg, and I know that people love Keith, and they love, you know, Hempel. But that doesn't mean that those people make sense on everything. Not everyone is Jill Thompson and looks brilliant on everything. And, you know, we finally got some Jill Thompson X-Men pages. They did one of those who's who in the X-Men kind of Ohatmu guides in 2015, 2017. And Jill Thompson did a number of the pages. So we got Jean Grey flying by Jill Thompson. And that's sort of like a gift that you can't ever give back. So... You know, this level of art, it turned me off then. It kind of turns me off now. Look at him. He loves you. He gets to hold his son. I'm trying to figure out why Scott... I am a dad, and I have two boys. And I am a person who has made a lot of questionable decisions in my life. And I can relate to Scott Summers in a lot of different ways. And he gets to be with his boys and it means something to me. And it, it actually, as a guy who has some, some pretty Even if it's not issues, super well written. Yeah, I have, I have pretty bad daddy issues. Uh, my And I don't have like daddy issues. I have issues with my dad, which are, in my opinion, it's a different thing. Um, my dad and I are very similar. We're both very Cuban. Let's see who can out big dick the other one on everything. And... Uh, very specifically, we have a very competitive relationship. So seeing a father get to be that kind of father to his son means a lot to me. I just can't figure out for the life of me why Scott's shoulder is larger than the entirety of Cable here. There are some proportions here that rival 90s Marvel Liefeld. They're not as bad. They cannot take the crown from a Captain America who is standing in profile but has both texts facing the front of the page, um, or a Captain America cover that is one of my favorite comic book covers of all time, not because of how good it is, but because um, there is a character that uh, Liefeld started drawing and then gave up on and didn't completely erase. And when it was sent to the inker and the colorist, they just colored this weird floating disc <laughs> embodied face in... <laughs> the middle of the thing and went to print and it's there on the cover forever oh god <laughs> so it can't rival that level of badness but um there's some questionable proportions and scale in some of this art um yes 
Well, I cannot wait to get into all of that, but because this definitely went like a good hour longer than we expected it to. Our 30 um, minute, our 30 minute uh, talk about Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix that had about five minutes on Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix and 108 minutes on everything else. And let's not forget the hour and a half that we talked to get ready. So this was absolutely the most anybody has ever jumped into Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix without ever talking about it at all. I have to imagine that's what some of the editorial summits were like. But Josh, until we come back, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Asleep at the Wheel, like it says right here, W-E-I-L. And you can find me at asleepatthewheel.com, where I have regular back issue recaps. A lot of 90s uh, X-Men stuff, 80s X-Men stuff, um, covering a bunch of the different series throughout the X-Universe, as well as some recap videos of graphic novels, review videos of trades, and a bunch of awesome fan-made t-shirts. And I believe you're wearing one of them right now. I am. This is a uh, Surge Towers one with uh, Scott and Gene and Logan. My, my dream polycule. This is some dream polycule right here. Yeah, I love it. I'm also repping some X-Men, but mine's a little bit more store-bought, right? But you guys can find me over at Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, until we come back to talk about, I guess, more comics that we're not going to talk about, we'll see you. And I'm going to hit stop recording if I can find it. Oh, well, let me leave that in. 